Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. James 3 and verse 1, the untamable tongue. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That one hit me hard, and I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of this today. Once again, James is addressing believers here, because who is he talking to first? My brethren. Did he say anybody? No, he says, my brethren. Believers, this is for you, he's saying. Now, I know there's some things in the Bible that pertain to everybody, believers and unbelievers alike. This one is concentrating on those who have already received Jesus Christ. It's like you have something you need to follow. And so he's telling us to listen up. Those who have the Holy Spirit, who are given godly discernment to be able to listen and comprehend to what he's teaching, especially when James just suggested there be an actual restraint in the number of teachers. You need to restrain this down, cut back. Not many of you become teachers. You'd think that James would be pushing for a great increase in teachers, wouldn't you? James lived at a time when Christianity is expanding. The the day of Pentecost happened, and all the people caught of all the nations were in one place. What is this gospel thing? A bunch got saved, and they all went back home. You'd think he'd say, let there be more teachers, right? Why would he say the opposite of what we would have figured? Why would he say, let not many of you be teachers? Not just because of the stricter judgment. That's not the only reason. He's trying to actually pull a lot of people back. James was Jesus' brother. It means Jesus had recently been crucified and risen again. And so the news is hyped. Everybody's carrying this gospel thing out. The word is spreading fast. But you don't have a whole lot of people who are mature enough to be teaching it yet. That's why. Let not many of you be teachers. Yeah, it's catching on. It's a big thing. But there's not enough maturity yet. There's a lot of fresh new believers. They want to just jump out there and be seen as teachers of the Word of God, but mostly they were driven because they wanted to carry the rank of rabbi. They wanted to carry the rank of pastor. A lot of people think, oh, everybody's going to call me pastor, and they're going to treat me with that double honor that the Bible talks about. Okay, but you're going to have a lot of trial too, and how are you going to fare? How are you going to hold up? A lot of people don't. And so he says, let not many of you become teachers. They wanted the rank and the privileges that came with it. And that's not the right reason for being a teacher. You're not going to get the the privileges you think you're going to get. Nobody's going to roll out the red carpet for you and give you the place of honor at the table just because you're the rabbi or the the pastor. Typically, uh, most people are going to treat you quite the opposite. And do you have the maturity for that? 1 Timothy 5 and 17 says, Let the elders who rule well, you see that word well? Okay, that's very pivotal here. (laughs) 
Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Being a rabbi or pastor is supposed to come with double honor. I know that as a pastor, this applies to me, and I'm telling you, the only way that I can feel comfortable even bringing this verse up in front of you, not so y'all will do this for me, but the only reason I can even bring it up is because I'm going to use this verse to help us understand the context of what James is saying. The reason he says, let not many of you become pastors, because a lot of people are taking it like this. Oh, if I become a pastor, look what I get. Double honor. Woohoo. And it's a very selfish motive. A lot of new Christians who had not yet had trial and time to mature their faith wanted that instant double honor. So they figured becoming teachers of God's word would bring that double honor to them. Again, in context, the reason why I'm showing this, in in context with James' writing, is let's recall in the previous chapter, James told us not to hold the faith of Jesus Christ with partiality. Don't be partial. Don't show favoritism with the faith. For these new believers to try to become teachers so that they could get that double honor, that would be misusing the faith for partiality, partiality for their self. And James says, don't do that. (laughs) Okay? So they would have been misusing it to get their double honor, which is exactly the opposite of what James said not to do with faith. Don't use faith to try to push some kind of a bias for yourself or others in favoritism. And so, James began this book with information on on how to develop and mature our faith in Christ through topics such as loving God under trial. Also, by being doers of the Word and not just listeners only. And, And also now how faith must have works or else it's dead. James knows that most of these new believers out there have not yet been through the necessary trials that are going to refine and mature their faith. Have you ever had your faith tested? and pushed on, and you wanted to snap and go nuts and go crazy, but you had to restrain yourself and go, I can't do that. I have to take this a better way now. Okay, there wasn't enough believers, new believers, that have been through this yet. And so that's why he's saying, let not many of you be teachers. You ain't ready. You're going to blow it. You're not, you're not there yet. They needed to refine and mature their faith. Remember, it was James that said, count it joy when you fall into trials, that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, you know we don't have enough of that. I'm I'm speaking for you and me. (laughs) Thanks, Ray. (laughs) We don't have patience. Just wait till we get near the end of the sermon. I'll find out if you have patience or not. Let patience have its perfect work so that you will not lack anything. He says your faith has to be tested so that you won't lack anything. The believers in this time were such a hurry to get out there and be teachers of the Word of God so they could have that double honor, but they lacked too much. It had to be refined and tested first so they wouldn't lack anything. So, if the blind try to lead the blind, they'll fall in a pit together. And so, just knowing the Word is not enough. Hitler knew the Word of God. Knowing the Word is not enough. Once you find yourself in a trial where you're forced to actually have to implement that knowledge, then that turns into a whole new ball game, doesn't it? That becomes not knowledge, it becomes knowledge applied, which is experience. Knowledge applied is experience. And so, I think it's entirely possible that James knows about Peter's time with Jesus, specifically when he told the Lord, I will never, ever deny you, but then he did three times later that day. I think James is aware of this, 
And he was saying, let not many of you become teachers yet. Back off a little bit. I love Peter because he's a lot like me. He's flawed. And I love Peter because he made a lot of mistakes. So I think that's why the Lord chose Peter and put him up front. Because watch this guy mess up and watch me forgive him and watch me use him anyway. That's why I love Peter. James is aware of this, though. So he's telling his teachers, back off a little bit, not many of you. Now, I think that by James writing this, let not many of you become teachers, he probably helped a lot of people avoid catastrophe, if you think about it. Because there would have been an overabundance of people, too many people, trying to use the gospel as nothing but hype, so they could set themselves up as these big preachers for their own honor, people who would have caved in at the first trial and it would have caused a lot of trouble. Then this would have caused even more people to give up the faith because they would have felt like they were tricked. James wanted mature, developed teachers to preach from a standpoint of tested faith first because too many people were using their faith with partiality for themselves, which is exactly what James said not to do in the previous chapter. And so it's no wonder that James followed up his no favoritism chapter with a command of holding back a lot of teacher wannabes because they were too anxious to speak up and show off. It is a big temptation to show off. A lot of people are going to know my name. A lot of people are going to see me. A lot of people are going to want to talk to me after I get done preaching because I'm just the best pastor. I'm going to wow them and they're all going to go, we want to know him. And it's a temptation to fall into that. And so there's a lot of guys I went to Bible college with. That was their whole agenda for going to Bible college, to be this pastor, get popular, get rich, and have everybody know them and get that double honor. Nope, doesn't work like that. So he's telling them to back off. I didn't even want to touch the part where James says that those who teach will receive a stricter judgment. (laughs) Because, wow, you see how that would weigh on somebody in my spot. That part really sets heavy on me that as a pastor, teacher of God's word, I am going to receive a stricter judgment. Now that sounds scary, and yes it is, but it is also wisdom. It's also wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The teaching of God's word must be done. Somebody has to do it. It's got to be done. It's commanded to. But those who teach have to understand their responsibility in it. That your life outside of this church, when you're in your normal environment, has to be authentic. Your responsibility better be serious. It better be right. It better be biblical. And it better be obeyed as a teacher of the word. Like I said, I was surrounded by a concentration of people, a whole room full of people who wanted to go into ministry. And not all of them were called. And these were guys that knew much of the God's word, but their handling of trials was absolutely terrible. They knew the word but they could not apply it in trial. They did not allow their faith to be refined by God. They freaked out. I saw one go off, more than one, and try to start a church, and I watched the whole thing blow up in their face. The church fell, hurt lots of people, and it left these pastors, failed pastors, bitter and angry, more angry at God than they'd ever been, and they quit and vowed never to come back. And they took a lot of people with them. And so they also got mad at me because I'm doing a church and they hate me to the core because they want to know why Ray Jensen is called, but they are not. It's jealousy because they went at it with a non-refined faith and they shouldn't have done that so quick. 
I've had many, many failed pastors say to me, literally, you are not called, you cannot do it. I was at a friend's wedding. I was talking to the pastors before I became a pastor. I was talking to the pastor officiating the wedding. He was questioning me up and down. I'm like, what is this about? Finally, he told me, you're not called. He told me just like that, you are not called. The Lord leads me to tell you you're not called. That guy should have been behind me. I've heard it over and more over and over more times than I can remember. Ray, you're not called. You're just not. Wish they could stand in here and see me today. I'm called. I've had a good confirmation of it. Guys, basically, this what he said here about the stricter judgment and let not many of you become teachers. This is a very personal and a very critical subject for me, for me in particular. I've had so much discouragement from people who thought they were called but were not, people that turned their anger that was really at God, they turned it at me because I'm doing a church and they couldn't. They liked the honor sound. They wanted that part, but they couldn't deal with the trial. It didn't work. But uh, when the people, when these guys came at me and you're not called and tried to discourage me, even that in itself was a trial that refined my faith even further. <laughs> you know, have the right perspective. Don't get mad at them. It's be, somebody's always going to tell you you're not good enough. Okay? You are not what people tell you you are. You are what God tells you you are. I am not a failure. I'm a son of God. That's who I am. But I'll tell you that what this stricter judgment does for me and what it should do for other teachers too. If someone is going to profess a clear calling to preach and teach God's word, they had better have a clear knowledge of their duty to obey God's word because they are all the more bound to obeying it if they're going to teach it. Now, this is just as true today as it was in James's day. Now, James 3 and 2 Look what he says, for we all stumble in many things. <laughs> Amen to that. That's me, okay? We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, that's the way we should be pressing for. What I like in this passage is that James didn't point his finger at anybody because he said, we all. He didn't say you all. He said, we all. He put himself in there. James is saying, hey, I'm as faulted as you. <laughs> we all stumble in many things. And we already address those who are too quick to show off. But for those who know that they are really called, don't be so scared of your mistakes. See what he says? We all stumble. Don't be scared of your mistakes. There's been times I've talked to guys, tried to motivate them, encourage them to be pastors, but, but, but I can't do it. And I'm like, why? Well, I don't sound as good as Chuck Swindoll. I don't sound as good as Ron Hint. I don't sound as good as so-and-so. Well, who cares? You sound like you. But when I get deeper into their reasoning, I come to find out that they have done things in their life they're not proud of, and they know they messed up or still mess up sometimes, and they think, well, I can't do it. Okay, well, that's where the enemy wins, and you're not going to be a pastor or teacher anymore. We all stumble, he says, and not a few things, many things. Hey, guys, it's okay. James is saying, yeah, I'm the same, and I'm the same too. We all stumble in many things. Don't be scared of your mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. We all stumble. But God had given me the clearest confirmation of anybody I've ever heard of called to a ministry. He gave me the clearest confirmation of my calling to go to ministry the first time I went to Israel. 
this man that I'd never seen before came and said a lot of things about me that he didn't know me. And I'm like, what is this? This guy knows me inside now. And I asked, did somebody tell you about me? He goes, no. I just met him that morning. He hadn't dug me up on Facebook, didn't know my name, nothing about me at all. And he said all these things to me. I'm like, that's exactly what I needed is a clear confirmation of my call. That was great to have. So if I didn't have that good of an absolute confirmation, then I would always be doubting if I'm really called to preach or not. Because guys, to be honest, I'm a mess. I'm a big mess. And I don't say that to say I'm too messed up. I'm saying that to relieve you of your anxieties because you know you're messed up too. Okay? (laughs) All of us. We all stumble in many things. It's not that I don't discipline myself to obey God's word, but as a flawed human being, I stumble in a lot of things. But for the fault finders, oh, them fault finders, for the fault finders who make it their job to accuse the teachers of God's word, first of all, you're dishonoring people by doing that, which makes you a blasphemer of of the name of Jesus by which these people are called. But also you forget that you yourself stumble too. We all stumble in many things. That makes me feel better. Does it make you feel better? Okay, when I was a kid, I used to think pastors were practically God himself. I remember when I was a little, little kid, the pastor and his wife came over to have dinner. My parents invited them over. I thought like Jesus walked in the room. We were sitting at the table. I sat up straight and I was quiet and I was scared to say anything. And the pastor's wife sat next to me, pure holiness, next to me. And she nudged me. We were eating. She nudged me. And I looked up at her. She goes, this is good, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah. I was scared of her. We're all humans. We all stumble, guys. We're, we're all people. But are you disciplined? And do you understand your responsibility to God's word? We all stumble. But, but, there's nothing that can cause a believer to fall more than a careless tongue. Than a careless tongue. I may not be able to water ski. I don't know, it's been a long time since I tried. I know I can't play guitar very well. Byron caught me today while he was playing his guitar. I was air guitaring. And then he, then he would stop and I would, I would stop. Then he'd boom again and I'd do it with him. You know, it's, it, we had a little game. I can't play guitar. That air guitar as far as I can go. I come short when it comes to lots of things. But any one of us who believe has the ability to not stumble in word, he says. To not stumble in word. That means in what you say. Don't stumble in what you're saying. James, he's, he's saying, I may have a lot of flaws. But one thing James, that James is saying is highly important is that despite your flaws, at least keep control of your tongue. Control that tongue. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. We all stumble. But if you don't stumble in word, you're a perfect man. You want to be perfect? Well, nobody can be perfect. James tells you how you can. Control that mouth. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle the whole body. You can perfect that whole body with that tongue. Now, I may have a million faults about me, but if I can at least keep my language under godly control, then it proves me to be a perfect man. Meaning, 
fulfilled, mature, and complete, lacking nothing. Those who can keep their tongue under control can bridle the whole body. But those who fire off their language are exemplifying spiritual immaturity. I've got a friend that told me, well, I'm saved in Jesus. He said this in one sentence. I may be saved in Jesus, but when I go off, I just say what I want to say, and I don't care what anybody thinks. What? That don't make any sense. Those who can keep their tongue under control can bridle the whole body. Authentic, spiritual maturity requires a tame tongue. And that's hard to do. That's very hard to do. But James gives an analogy, James 3 and 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Okay, the tongue is very small, but it is massively influential. You can hurt people. Ten times tougher than you with your mouth. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth. It turns the whole horse. It's a little piece of metal that goes in there, and it's hooked to straps. You can turn that whole beast, that whole powerful animal, with that little bit. Small rudders turn ships. A mere spark can burn down an entire forest. Likewise, the tongue is small, but it can make great boasts, which influences the entire remainder of that person in their entirety. The tongue is small. But it has a lot of power. It can do a lot of damage, and it can also do a lot of good. So part of my call when I got called was, Lord, I have spoken against your name enough times. I want to use my tongue to go the other way. (laughs) I want to use it to proclaim you. I had to do a turnaround. I had to take what I had and reuse it for, I had to repurpose everything, or I got rid of it. Now, the thing is, you can't get rid of your tongue. You have it. (laughs) You're probably thinking there's some people I wish I could get rid of their tongue, but you you have it. Use it. Use it rightly. James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire. Check this out. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. (laughs) The tongue is set on fire by hell. Man, did you know your tongue is that terrible? It may be small and influential, but far worse, it can be downright satanic. Set on fire by hell. The tongue is a fire, meaning it can do a lot of damage. The tongue can destroy. Proverbs sixteen twenty seven says, An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. How is your language? How's your language? Oh, I never cuss, Ray. Do you abuse your spouse? Do you abuse your kids? Do you abuse your friends with your tongue? Do you use your tongue to manipulate or to accuse or discourage others or to put them down? It doesn't take cuss words to make bad language. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.